Once there was a time when all the elements of earth, sea, and sky lived on the land together in many, many villages. Many years ago, back in the old country, there lived a holy, sweet couple who loved each other so very much. A long time ago, in a village, somewhere in Tamil Nadu, there lived a monkey. There was once a man, tall and handsome, who met a, a woman, beautiful and elegant, and they fell in love with each other. Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. Today, the stories are of a somewhat darker nature because both of them have to do with death. If you are with the very young who might find this disturbing, I would suggest saving this for maybe when you have headphones in. So be bold, be bold, but not too bold. I see the strangest things when I'm sitting by the river. Little men in a boat. The boat the size of a gravy boat. Rowing and singing a song that sounded suspiciously like row, row, row your boat, but at all different tempos. I watch them singing and row away into the distance. The first story for this episode is told by Robert Kakuchi Ingoho, who is a brilliant storyteller from California and one half of the duo Ethnotech. The other half is Nancy Wong. Now, Robert will tell the beautiful Mongolian story Tarva'a, the first storyteller. Tarva'a, the first storyteller, a folktale from Mongolia. Songs of sorrows, stories of mystery and mirth in the language of light, born of a very dark, dark beginning. For it was once upon a time in the land of Mongolia, the Black Plague killed many in its wake. From the felt-covered yurts dotting the grasslands came the cries of loved ones, losing their loved ones. When Tarva'a, the bright-eyed ten-year-old boy, felt the first swell of fever, he thought at first it was anger. Why did you take my parents from me, O oh, cursed black plague? When this orphan boy felt the chills at night, he grew weaker and weaker. He stumbled onto the grass outside his yurt, rolled down upon the earth, and slept. And that night, the black plague draped its cloak over the young lad. Soon the neighbors approached. Oh, stay away from his body. Oh, oh, Tarva'a, he is dead. The black plague has taken him. Run, run away as fast as you can from this place, place of death. Tarva'a's spirit heard all these frightened cries and rose up from his sleeping body and looked down upon the hopelessness of this feverish shell. The spirit hovered in sorrow for a moment and then swirled down, down beneath the grass, Beneath the soil, between rocks and roots, down, 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 the spirit traveled deep into the bowels of the earth. Suddenly, Tarva'a found himself standing in the vast darkened grassland, the land of Yama, the underworld, land of the dead. 
There was an enormous structure arcing into the indigo sky of dusk. It was a yurt in the distance. He walked towards it. In a moment, he stood before its entrance, and suddenly the large flap gently lifted, and Tarva stepped inside. Looking up, he saw the ceiling of the great yurt sparkle with the constellation of jewels and precious stones and diamonds like a night sky. In the center sat the great Khan, Yama, Khan of the underworld, running his fingers along the list of thousands upon thousands of entries, reciting the names of those whose time had come. Hey, hey, you! What are you doing here? Who, who are you? Boomed the Khan of the dead. Oh, oh, I am Tarva. I just died. The Black Plague. I saw my dead body, and so I came straight away to, to report to you, O oh great Khan. Well, wait, 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 just a moment here. Let, let, let me see. Your name? Your, na- your name again? What? Wait. No, 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 no. No, it's not on this list. Oh, no, no, it's not on... Oh, wait a minute. You're not due here for a long time. You're in luck. <laughs> You're not dead. It's not your time yet, young lad, but... Oh, my. Tarva, ah, this poses a problem. Oh, this has never happened before. You do not belong here. You're not dead. Oh, no, let me think about this. I'll need a day, but I'll call upon you later. For the rest of the day, the curious boy wandered around the land of the dead. He met angry souls, laughing and jealous and joyful souls, all of whom equally were curious about a spirit of a young boy here from the land of the living. What was your life like in the land of the living? Tarva'a asked them innocently. One soul spoke of his adventures to unknown lands, that soul marveled at how he had been welcomed as if he were one of their own. Well, yet another spirit spoke of his journey and how frightfully disgusting he found foreign customs and ways. And so it was that Tarva spent his time listening to the stories of warriors and beggars, sages and fools, kings and hunters and grandmothers. And the spirit spoke of their triumphs and their failures their songs of sorrows, stories of mystery and mirth in the language of light. The boy listened to these stories of humanity, all of them leaning towards one goal in life, to find love. And when he realized this love, that's when she appeared. The young girl that he found was so beautiful that his heart stirred with affection. Oh, come back with me, back to the land of the living, the boy pleaded. But the sweet girl simply smiled. No, no, this is home for me. Though I am dead, and I have been so for hundreds of years, there is a way you can keep me with you. In fact, all of those you have met down here, you can keep them alive again and again. And the beautiful soul leaned over and whispered, Tell our stories. And then she gave Tarva a kiss on the cheek and repeated, Tell our stories. And just as Tarva'a let out a sigh, he heard a booming voice, Tarva'a, come to me now. I've made my decision. And with a crack of thunder, he was swooped into the majestic yurt of the great Khan. I've watched you in this land of the dead. You, Tarva'a, you're quite fearless. And you've listened even to the voices from the darkest of shadows. But you're you're at home here, but it's not your time yet. Well, however, when you go back, I want you to have a gift. 
Come, let me here, come, come, let me show you. He let Tarva outside behind the yurt, where stood an enormous pile, a huge mound of things, all sorts of things, a silver scepter, a wooden shovel, a spoon, a sword, silk shirts, a teacup, a bag of gold, even prayer beads. Oh, some people coveted all this, and sought after it their whole life, seeking these things, and some men even killed for these things. <laughs> you should have seen these grown men cry when they discovered all of this down here. In the land of the dead, oh, this is, is useless trash. <laughs> oh, some men went insane, and well, a few other wise ones, they giggled for joy as they cried out, Free at last, <laughs> free at last. But now, oh, oh, it's all worthless stuff. <laughs> now, here, here, since you're going back, choose something. Take it home with you. A, a gift to take back to the land of the living. Tarva looked in the pile for a long time, Looking, searching, seeking, and then he pointed. That, I'll take that one. And when he pointed at, it was not gold nor wood. It was simple. It was seemingly small, and yet it held an essence that seemed to carry the world. Ah, that young Tarva, ah, that will be a most precious gift. And in a flash of lightning and a rumbling of sound rolling across the dark kingdom, Tarva's spirit felt the wind lift him up, up. Up he soared, and suddenly he was lying in the field of grass from whence he came. He felt the warmth of the morning sun upon his face, but he could not see the light. For a while he was under the black spell, Tarva's abandoned body was left like a carcass for the crows, and those hungry birds had pecked out his eyes. Still, Tarva in all his blindness smiled, Alive! I am alive! Well, the Black Plague had finally passed. As the villagers returned to rebuild their lives, Tarva lived a full and very long, long life. And at the end of each long day, his villagers gathered around the flickering light of the fire to listen to this very old blind man telling stories as if he had listened to the whole wide world and perhaps beyond. Where did you get all these stories? The children asked. But Tarva uh, only grinned and continued with his songs of sorrows, stories of mystery and mirth in the language of light, giving to our world the gift of storytelling. Tarva, uh, the first storyteller. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Mirror Mirror Home Decorating Service. Your home is a reflection of you. The three little pigs knew that. And we all know that Prince Charming found a lovely tableau of the Sleeping Beauty while breaking and entering. Mirror Mirror Home Decorating wants to make your home a place where fairy tales come true. Whether you are wanting the latest fashion in drapes or in towers for the heroes trying to ruin your life. While you're trying to keep up with the castle next door, let Mirror Mirror Home Decorating make your house the fairest of them all. And now a sponsor from the real world. Once upon a time, in the land of China, the people spoke of a goddess, Niu Wa, who saved the world from the destruction caused by a war between fire and water gods. Using her creative hands and pressing the multicolored gems and stones, Nuwa created a healing rainbow salve that healed the wound of heaven 
and brought peace on earth to the people she created from a common ground. Hello, we are Ethnotech with Robert Kikuchi Ngoho and Nancy Wong, and we have created with our hands and our hearts a journey to Asia, the new wall storytelling delegation using storytelling to build bridges of understanding between the people of China and Korea and the West. Our first stop, China. October 7th through 16th, we'll first see what we call Big China, the Great Wall, Forbidden City, the splendor of imperial China, and then we go on to small China as we travel down a country road to share with a big heart with the storytellers of a traditional storytelling village called Gensuin. There'll be story swaps, conversations, sharing our ordinary lives in extraordinary ways with farmers and goat shepherds, and with the help of interpreters, we'll bring these two different communities together as one. Next, we move on to Korea, October 16th through 25th, into the land of Korea to get a glimpse of 5,000 years of history, culture, the arts, and yes, delicious food, and of course, storytelling. We'll be visiting communities big and small, rural and urban, meeting the elders that are versed in the old folk tales. We'll meet with scholars and writers and artists. We'll hear the music of Pansori, tantamount to the blues of soulful Korea. The delegation will be separate or in tandem. These two delegations can be either separate or in tandem. The tuition per delegation is $1,900 each, if you catch the early bird discount before May 1st. And what we cover is housing, dinner shows, daily food, daily trips, tourists, entry fees, shuttle buses, guides, interpreters, and, of course, the tips. Got to tip our people. Our production costs and plus, in gratitude, donations to the artistic community who have shared their talents. In addition, the delegates cover their own round-trip airfare to Beijing and or Seoul. The dates again are October 7th through 16th, that's China, and October 16th through 25th, that's Korea. For more information, you can find us on the web www.ethnohtec.org forward slash Asia, lowercase, dash, trip, dash, page, forward slash. And that'll lead you right to the delegation page. Or you can also email us at contact at ethnotech.org. That's E-T-H-N-O-H-T-E-C.org. And also a good old-fashioned phone call can work, too. 415-282-8705. Again, 415-282-8705. Finally, you know, these current times, uncertain times, full of chaos, what could be the possibility of bringing ordinary people of different nations sharing themselves through our stories? Again, drawing from the Chinese myth, New Wa made peace in heaven. Perhaps we can make peace on earth. Our stories are the rainbow gems that guide us to a more peaceful world. Consider being a peace builder with the gems of stories you bring. Join our new Waz storytelling delegation. Thanks for listening. Thank you. As I sat by the river, there I heard a shout, a yell, and the boat... That boat with little wild men came rowing up against the current. Right behind them was a beaver looking, well, rather irritated. The men in the boat were rowing away, but the poles in their hand looked rather like beaver-chewed sticks. They went racing up the stream and round the bend. One sees strange things when reading by the river.
The second story today is by Ingrid Nixon, who has told some wonderful stories on the podcast. This is another one from her CD, Grims with a Twist, and is the story Three Leaves. I can almost guarantee you haven't heard this one from Grimm's, and how this one turns itself over and over. There was once a poor man with a grown son. Their situation was dire. There wasn't enough food for both of them. So there came a day where the son said, Father, I am a burden. It's time that I go out into the world and I earn my own bread. So the father gave him his blessing, and there were hugs and tears, and the father waved goodbye as he watched his son walk down the road and out of the village. Now it turns out that a king in a neighboring kingdom was at war, and he needed soldiers. So the young man enlisted, and he soon found himself on the field of battle. And things were not going well for the king's army. There were arrows flying left and right, people dying left and right. And then there was that arrow, that one arrow that flew through the air. It hit and killed the captain. And when the captain died, all the other soldiers were set to flee. But it was the young man who stepped up and he said, no, listen to me. And he gave this spontaneous motivational speech that when he was done, I mean, all the other soldiers decided that they were going to stay and fight. They stayed, they fought, and they actually won the battle. And when the king heard what had happened on the battlefield, he knew that there was one person to thank for winning that battle. It was a young man. So he invited him to the castle gave him riches, gave him a title, made him a lord, made him his right-hand man. Now, it turns out that the king had a beautiful daughter. Now, she was gorgeous, but she was also a little whimsical, you know, a little... And she had thrown out the idea that she would only marry a man if he promised that if she were to die before he did that he would follow her into the tomb to be buried alive. She said, if I am dead, what reason does he have to go on living? And to be fair, she agreed to do the same for her husband. Well, perhaps it goes without saying, but the lords were not lining up to ask for her hand in marriage. But when the young man saw her, oh, he fell in love. So he went to the king and asked for her hand in marriage. The king said, you do understand her stipulation, don't you? And the young man said, I do, but I am not afraid. And the king said, okay. So they were married. Now, for a long time, they lived happily together, but... Then the young princess became ill. It was bad. No physician could cure her, and she died. And then the young man realized the gravitas of the promise that he had made. But a promise was a promise. Nonetheless, the king had a guard put on the young man so he would not escape. Well, the day of the funeral came, and the body of the young princess was placed in the tomb. And then the guards put in a small table and a chair and three bottles of wine, three loaves of bread, three candles. They escorted the young man inside, wished him luck, and then sealed him up in the tomb. 
There the young man sat each day, watching his candles burn down, nibbling his bread, sipping his wine, each day death creeping closer. And then one day, by the light of his last candle stump, he saw a snake slither out of a hole from the corner of that tomb. The snake moved across the floor toward the body of the princess. Well, the young man leaped to his feet, drew his sword and said, as long as I live, you will not touch her. And he took his sword and he chopped that snake three times. Chop, chop, chop. And then he sat down in his chair, morose. After a moment, a second snake emerged from the corner. It slithered up to the body of that first snake. The second snake flicked out its tongue. And then it turned around, went back down into the hole, and emerged a moment later with three leaves in its mouth. It nudged the four pieces of the dead snake together, so it was assembled more or less the way it had been in life. And then it placed a leaf over each of the three wounds. And the body pieces fused together. The snake came back to life and began to move. The two snakes slithered away back down the hole in the corner, leaving the three leaves lying on the ground. The young man sat with his eyes wide. He had witnessed a miracle. He began to wonder if if the leaves which had helped the snake might also help a human. So he picked up the leaves. He went over to the body of the princess, and he laid one on the mouth and one on each eye. And he had scarcely done this when the blood began to circulate through her veins. The blood rushed back into her pale skin, which became pink, and then she (gasps) took a breath and opened her eyes. Where am I? she asked. You are with me, my love, the young man said, and he told her everything that had happened. And then he gave her some wine and some bread, and when her strength returned, she sat up. And then the two of them went to the door and began to pound on the door of that tomb, shouting to be released. Now the guards were a little disconcerted to hear this noise. They went and told the king, but the king said, Well, you know, I kind of expected that I would hear something like that. But the guard said, Your Majesty, no, we are hearing two voices. The king came down to the tomb, and upon hearing two distinct voices, he ordered the vault to be unsealed. And you can imagine his joy when he saw that his daughter was alive. Well, as the celebrating was going on, the young man picked up the three snake leaves. He gave them to his most trusted servant. He said, Preserve these carefully. "'Carry them with you at all times. "'You never know.'" Coming back to life, the princess was just as beautiful as ever, but but a change had come over her. All the love she had felt for her husband passed out of her heart. It was about this time that the young man decided that he wanted to do a sea voyage to the distant reaches of the kingdom. Well, once they got on board the ship the princess, she began to flirt shamelessly with the captain. When he'd pass by, she'd say things like, Hey, sailor. (laughs) 
Oh, the captain, he was smitten. He had her name tattooed on his chest. Then she proposed to the captain a wicked plan. She proposed that when the prince, her husband, was asleep, she and the captain should slip into his stateroom, knock him on the head, and throw him overboard. Then she said, we can return home, and I will say he died on the voyage, and I will tell my father how brave you were and such a comfort to me, and he will allow us to marry, and you will inherit the kingdom, you, my barnacle Bill the sailor. The captain said, I'm in. When shall we do it? The princess said, no time like the present. So they conked the sleeping prince on the head and threw him over the side of the ship. And then the princess fell into the lustful, burly, muscly arms of the captain. But it so happened that the young man's faithful servant had seen all of this. The servant lowered a small boat from the stern of the ship and rowed after his master's body as the ship sailed away. He pulled the dead body out of the sea and then... He reached into his pocket and took out the three snake leaves. He laid them on the dead man's eyes and mouth. And the young prince <gasps> came back to life. The faithful servant told the prince of his wife's evil plan. The two grabbed the oars and began to row with all their might back to the king's palace. They rowed all day and all night. They actually beat the ship back. When they arrived, they took a secret tunnel up to the king's chambers, and the king was frankly surprised to see them. He said, well, what, what happened? Where is my daughter? The young man told the king everything. And when the king heard of the wickedness of his daughter, he said, you know, she's always been a bit of a loose cannon, but I never thought she could do this. Just then they heard the sound of the princess and the sea captain coming down the hallway, approaching the king's chambers. And the king said, here, hide. And the young man and his servant hid behind a curtain. Just then the princess and the captain burst into the room. Oh, she was all sad. She was like, oh, father, father, the king asked. Where is your husband? She said, oh, he was suddenly taken ill on the voyage and died. Oh, we had to throw his body overboard. Were it not for this good, dear captain, I don't know what I would have done. He was president at my husband's death. At this, the king said, well, then I shall bring the dead back to life. And he drew back the curtain, and there was the young man and the servant. Yeah, awkward. As soon as the princess saw her dead husband, she fell on her knees and begged forgiveness. It was the king who spoke. He said, for you there is no pardon. He was ready to die for you, and he gave you life again, and you, you conspired against him as he slept. As punishment, the princess and her precious sea captain were sealed in a small boat into which many small holes were drilled in the bottom. And then the king's guard towed that boat out to sea, and it sank slowly beneath the waves. Glug, glug, glug. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes can be found at storystorypodcast.com 
forward slash episode 44. Show the love. Find Robert Kukuchi Ingoho and Ingrid Nixon on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. Find me and the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. Please come say hello. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors. Let me know your favorite story that you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. In fairy tales, the magic number is three. So three things for you to do. One, like and rate the show on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Two, join the mailing list. You'll get goodies about the podcast delivered to your inbox. Three, become a supporter. For $4 a month, you help support the podcast and get special goodies like a few extra stories a month. The patrons get a story from the incredible Claire Murphy titled Half a Blanket. Go to storystorypodcast.com for more info and a thank you as big as the spring wind that pushed me around today to those who are donating. Thank you to the patrons of the podcast. Next episode is, well, the beginning of complete madness. It is May Madness and I will be bringing you something absolutely new. Stories that make you smile, think deep thoughts, or make you think nothing at all. It's going to be a month where the stories come in bite-sized chunks and you can listen to one a day and share your favorites with your friends. I hope you'll join me again May 1st and until then, live happily ever after. The wedding lasted for seven days. I know. I was there. I would cross 27 countries, wear out three pairs of boots, battle two giants, and the grandmother of all witches, Baba Yaga, before I was reunited with my frog princess. But that's a story for another time. The last thing he said before he died on anyone who would dare to go sing with the fans. Just because a story is strange, do not mistake. It can also be true.